Welcome to EdCast, a podcast brought to you by the Education Policy Center at American Institutes for Research. Through EdCast, we bring researchers and practitioners together to discuss some of our nation's biggest educational challenges. On this episode, experts Catherine Barber and Kirsten LaFlock share their insights on the research to practice connection in school improvement. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Kirsten LaFlock, and I'm a managing researcher with the American Institutes for Research. And I'm Catherine Barber, and I'm a managing turnaround consultant for American Institutes for Research. In today's episode, Setting the Stage for School Improvement, we will be discussing three key ideas, instructional coherence, needs assessment, and using data for continuous improvement. Kirsten, what would you like to share with us from the research on the idea of instructional coherence? Sure, so instructional coherence sounds like a jargony term, but it's actually one of the most important things that we've seen in research over the past few decades about school improvement and school change. That schools really need to have a set of strategies that fit together as a coherent set. But research has also shown that one of the most common problems or challenges that we see in schools that are trying to turn around low performance is that they're totally incoherent. Too often, their improvement strategies are just a scattershot set of interventions. So Catherine, is that consistent? With Do you have any examples of schools that sound like that? And Kirsten, I do. It's uh, interesting. We work with a school, which we think is really typical of many schools that were undergoing an improvement process. The principal and the teachers came together to write a very ambitious plan that was innovative, bold, and dramatic to turn the school around. The school had been low performing for over 10 years. When they wrote the plan and it came time to actually implement the plan, the principal was overwhelmed with the laundry list of activities that were to be launched, coordinated, and monitored all at once. When we worked with the principal to map out the initiatives, there were actually 32 initiatives that were set to launch in August. Way too many things. 32 initiatives in one school year. 32 things that were gonna start in August. Oh my gosh. Very overwhelming, not doable, and further reinforced to the teachers a message of of failure. They couldn't see climbing up that hill of 32 Mm -hmm. initiatives. And these initiatives ran the gamut from revising the reading and the math curriculum to establishing a parent community center with a a new director. So all the initiatives were big lifts for this school. And so you can imagine what happened. They were overwhelmed, they tired out quickly, and the initiative stalled and student achievement did too as well. So in the second year, we worked with the principal and the leadership team to dramatically trim down the proposed activities and to focus on a few core areas for improvement. When we really got them to prioritize what their needs were, they landed on training teachers on formative assessments, establishing data teams, and then also strengthening a student intervention program that had been in place at the school. And the results for the second year were really strong. They had over 10% increases in achievement. Mm -hmm. Teachers were able to stay focused and put in strong effort all year long, just focusing on on less. Mm -hmm. And so Kirsten, what have you learned in conducting research about this importance of coherence in school improvement efforts? So we found that schools, I mean, the big picture is that schools that do succeed in having a more coherent approach to the change process, those are the ones that do tend to 
improve over time and are more likely to sustain those changes. But you can understand how this could come about, that schools are trying to do everything at once, because schools that have a history of low performance have a lot of challenges. And you want to address all of them. They all seem super important. So there's sort of this incentive to try to tackle all the problems at once. Um, and especially if you receive a lot of funding, the funders might expect you to try to do a lot of things all at once, or they try to latch onto like what's the silver bullet. You really need to actually figure out what is the right fit for the school. What do you need to do first? What are the most pressing performance problems? And what are the solutions that are a really good fit for your school? And I think another important part is knowing when to say no, because there are a lot of interventions that might sound really tempting, or a school down the road has done this and it seemed really promising there, but you need to know where to set boundaries and what can you actually do in, in one school year. But as you've said also, that, that if you do too many things at once, you might give up on an intervention if it doesn't seem to be working, which then creates this sense among the teachers that there's just this churn of interventions and you can wait them out if you don't like what's going on in a given school year. So research definitely underscores the importance of having a coherent approach, but I know it's easier said than done. So Catherine, do you have some ways in which, or suggestions for schools for how they can actually go about having a more coherent approach? Like what are the stepping stones? So Kirsten, when we work with schools and districts, we really want to start at the very beginning, and we feel that the very beginning is conducting a deep and thorough and rigorous needs assessment. And that means looking at data over the course of years, talking to people and asking about their perspectives of why the, the school is low performing, and pulling all that information together with a key stakeholder group that will be involved in actually implementing the school improvement plan and coming to a consensus on why the school is actually a low-performing school. And what we found in our experiences out on the field working in low-performing schools is that if the needs assessment hasn't been done or it has been done in what we would call a very shallow um, level, not really digging deep on the root causes of, of uh, the low performance for the school, the school never seems to really be able to pull off a school improvement process because people are working on their own agendas for school improvement. So there hasn't been this coming together of why are we a low-performing school and then a coming together of here are the steps we're going to do to help improve the school and here's my role in helping to, to improve that school. But, so I have a question. Having a really rigorous needs assessment is probably pretty hard because I know there's a lot of policies that tell schools they have to have a needs assessment and a lot of schools might say they're doing a needs assessment, right? But asking yourself the hard questions of why are we low-performing, why haven't we managed to get out of this, is, is really difficult, I think. So do you have some advice you give to schools about how do you dig deeply into the data? And we've had those experiences too as well. And it is hard. It's hard to have been at the school for you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years right. and have a huge investment in the school and it having been a low performing school the whole time that you've been there. And what we find is the hardest part of the needs assessment process is when the process takes an internal look. Mm -hmm. So when we've taken folks through a safe and structured process to eliminate all of the external reasons why the school isn't performing mm -hmm. and it starts to turn inward, it's really difficult for the folks who are very invested in the school. However, we have found that this is a key turning point in the school. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's tears in these meetings. People feel uh, very invested in the school, but it's hard to say, that I was a part of the failure of the school. Right. And when folks come to that point, 
then it seems like they can really rally up behind the mm-hmm. initiatives to help make the school improve. The other thing that we have seen schools not do a very good job of is take a really thorough look at the data. Right. And sometimes that's because the data isn't there. Mm-hmm. So there aren't systems in place in the district that collects data mm-hmm. that lets um, you take a, a whole comprehensive picture of the school. Or sometimes the data is there, uh, as in the case where I was a principal, but nobody looked at the data. Right. And so they didn't look at the data until they were designated as a, as a failing school. So it's it's assessing what data do you have, then let's pull it together and organize it in a way that, that's meaningful and beneficial. Let's get the right folks around the table to take a look at that, and then let's see what the data is, t- uh, is telling us. And I always say when I'm working with folks that data is your best source to tell you how you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing very well, you want to know that you're not doing very well because then you can do something about it. Right. Not knowing is what keeps us in the dark, which mm-hmm. keeps our schools low performing. So it's, it's, it's better to know and get a status check because then you can respond appropriately. Absolutely. And my guess is you'd want a lot of data sources, right? I mean, you want to know about student achievements, so you would look at test scores. But there are other data sources too, right? Maybe staff surveys or parent surveys, or maybe even doing interviews with folks. Yes, we like to get multiple sources because we want to paint a colored picture of the mm-hmm. school. We just don't want one perspective or one or one slice because oftentimes in these low-performing schools, there are things that are working, mm-hmm. and we want to highlight those things that are working because those are seen as, as leverage points that we can right. we can build off of. And so I think sometimes people don't look at the data because they think that everything is broken, but that is oftentimes not the case. So mm-hmm. let's celebrate the things that are working and use those as leverage points and identify the areas that we can strengthen mm-hmm. and then create a whole system that is operational, it meets the needs of the students, and it's something that can take them into sustainability. So then if you've looked really comprehensively at all of these data sources, that makes it easier then to hone in on the key strategies that you need to look at. And you can focus on maybe a handful of things to do in year one instead of trying to do everything at once. Right, we really come from the place of less is best. And even though it may appear that the whole entire system is broken, and even though you may, as a school, be getting pressure from your school board or your your community around you or even your district, taking on more than three or more initiatives is really difficult. And we have to think about assessing the readiness of the school, the capacity of the teachers in the building to, to mm-hmm. take on these initiatives. How big are these initiatives? Um, revising your math curriculum and training teachers on new assessment processes, those are those are big things to take on that take a lot of time before you can see that the impact of those things. And so we really need to be cognizant of that mm-hmm. in rolling out these initiatives and thinking about the key things that are going to move your school forward. Okay, so some of our key takeaways are that less is best, that research shows you should focus on a few key strategies that will lead to, to improvement in the school and work on those sequentially. Taking time to prioritize a few key interventions does seem to be a most, the, one of the more promising approaches. And then I would add in that data is the fuel that feeds the improvement process. So whether your school is, you're looking at the data and your school is showing that you're on an upward trend, or you're looking at the data and it shows that you're, you're not making the improvements that you had intended at that time, 
it's still good information that lets you know where you are and it also lets you know what you need to do. And then I'd say the last piece and the last key takeaway is the continuous improvement cycle. And that means that looking at your data periodically across the course of the year and not just launching the school year and then looking at your data at the end of the year when you've received your state assessment scores, you wanna know all along the way Am I making progress? Am I making the intended progress? And if I'm not, it gives you an opportunity to do course corrections so that you can make sure that you are on target to improve student achievement for your school year. Okay, so to pull this all together, let's think through some of the key takeaways for schools that are trying to launch the school improvement process. I think the first one is definitely related to coherence overall. Less is best. Don't try to do everything at once. Second, I would say focus on a needs assessment. I think we've talked a lot about how having an in-depth and rigorous needs assessment can really help surface the most pressing problems in a chronically low-performing school. And then the last one is the idea that data is the fuel that feeds the school improvement process. And it's identifying what data do you have available to you or what data can you generate and periodically monitor that data throughout the course of the school year to make sure that you're making the progress that you intended or to find out that you're not making the progress that you intended and be in a position to be able to do course corrections so that you can be sure to hit your student achievement targets at the end of the year. I'm Katherine Barber. And I'm Kirsten LaFlock. And we'd like to thank you for listening to today's session on setting the stage for school improvement. Thanks, Catherine and Kirsten, and thanks to our listeners for joining us. For more podcast episodes, visit edupolicycenter.org.